The Bible is a book that is under attack. It has always been a book that is under attack. That attack began with the devil in Genesis chapter 3 when he challenged God's word. Has God actually said? That attack has come through the unbelieving world. Those who are in rebellion against God are certainly in rebellion against what he has said in his word. And, and the Bible has always been the target of self-proclaimed Christians who want to establish their own authority, who remain in spiritual rebellion. Even as the New Testament was being written, even during the apostolic period, false teachers who claimed to be scripture or claimed to be apostles were actively denying the scriptures. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. The Bible, which calls itself the Word of God, it calls itself the Scriptures, it says that it is God's voice in written form, bears the full authority with God. That is what we affirm. That is what we believe. There are two Testaments, but there's one Scripture, one Word of God, one voice of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. So this morning we are going to remind ourselves of the nature of, of the Word of God. If you'd like to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, we're going to begin there. And while you're turning, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the holiness of it and the perfection of it and the power of it. It is impossible for us to overestimate the authority and the truth and the power of the scriptures. We can only underestimate it. We can only twist them. We can't improve upon them. So would you help us to not twist? Would you help us to understand better this morning how you have spoken to mankind and how you have spoken to us? And we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we begin with this this, this general truism that God speaks. God is a speaking God. He is not a force. He is three eternal persons. The second of those three eternal persons is called the Word of God. God speaks not because it's something that He happens to do. God speaks because it is inherent to His nature to speak. And what we see in Scripture, beginning in the very first words, is that God speaks in order to act. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, remember, Jesus says that God is spirit. God has no physical body, uh, either an earthly body or a heavenly body. God is pure spirit. Uh, so he doesn't exercise his power through the, the use of physical means as we do and as we must, he exercises his power through his will and through his word. He speaks and it is accomplished. That's what we see in Genesis 1-3. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. That's how God created all things. God willed the existence of light. He expressed that will in speech and his will was instantly achieved. 
Now, this is not mythology. This is not a fanciful explanation for how the universe and everything came to be. It's the consistent teaching of Scripture. David believed this. He says in Psalm 33, in verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth... Danny, would you switch over to the computer? And by the breath of his mouth all their host... Verse 9 says, For God spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So David believed it. Jesus believed it as well. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Jesus affirms exactly what Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 teach. When Jesus promised to go and heal the centurion's servant, the centurion said to him, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And at the end of that passage, Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Jesus himself exercised authority over nature through mere speech. When he was in the boat with his disciples and the storm arose and they were terribly afraid and Jesus was asleep, they woke him up and they said, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? And he stood up and Matthew writes, he says to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. He spoke to the storm. Of course he spoke to a storm. How do you touch a storm? He spoke. He rebuked the storm and it instantly became calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Romans 4.17 says that God calls things into being which do not exist. We see that with light. In Genesis 1-3, let there be light, and light obeyed. There was no light. There was no such thing as the particle or the wave which we know light is. There was no expression of energy called light. Light simply did not exist within the realm of physical creation at that point. Until God said, let there be light. And his speech was sufficient. God speaks to act. Second, God speaks to communicate. God doesn't simply speak to act, but to communicate. He, from the day he created Adam, he has communicated with mankind. I just have one reference here. It's Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And then God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God spoke in order to communicate. The two things about this, about this speech 
by the way, that are very important for us to understand. First, God's first communication to people was a command. It wasn't a tour of the garden. It wasn't a welcoming speech. It was a command. There's a a principle in biblical interpretation called the law of first occurrence. And what that says is the first time you see something take place in the Bible, it's important. It, it establishes a pattern for what's going to follow. So it's important that God's first words to people are a command because it establishes his lordship, his rulership, his kingship. He is the master, we are the slaves. He is the king, we are the subjects. He is the ruler, we are the ruled. The second thing that's important to understand is that God spoke in plain words. Not one of these words in the Hebrew language was invented in heaven. God didn't say, I'm going to give man a command, and two of the words I'm going to use are are completely unusual, and I'm going to have to invent them. He used words that Adam would have understood, and he used words that we understand now. There's nothing extraordinary about this language. God's first communication to mankind was a command. God spoke in plain words. God speaks to communicate. The Bible is hard to understand for us because of our rebellion, not because it uses hard language. Mark Twain, who is not a Christian, said, and I I completely agree with this, it is not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. Because it's so clear. God speaks to communicate. And in that process, then God spoke directly. We see him speaking directly to Adam in Genesis 2. He speaks directly to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He speaks to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. He speaks to Noah in Genesis chapter 6. He speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He speaks to Isaac and to Jacob, and he speaks to Moses, and he speaks to them directly, sometimes even through a physical manifestation, which is not saying that God has a permanent physical body, but that he took on a physical manifestation in order to communicate in that time in that way, as he does when Jacob wrestles with the angel. And when he walked in the garden to be with Adam and Eve, God spoke directly for quite a long time. Quite a long time. But beginning with Moses, the Lord began to use intermediaries. Intermediaries. Many of these are known as prophets. They're intermediaries. They are men through whom God speaks to others. Moses is the beginning, first example of that. God spoke to Aaron through Moses. God spoke to Pharaoh through Moses. God spoke to the people of Israel through Moses. And the prophets of God, without exception, served as intermediaries, the Lord speaking through them to others. Their words were not their words, but his words spoken through them. And so their words to Aaron, to, uh, the, to Pharaoh, to the people of Israel, to anyone they spoke to, bore the exact same authority as God. When Moses says to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, 
Those words had the same authority as if God himself had come down and stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh was just as accountable to Moses' words as he would have been if God had spoken directly. We see that with Pharaoh. We see it with Israel. God said to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7, when when Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt because Moses was delivering God's message and Pharaoh was expected to act as though God was speaking to him. Later on in the book of Numbers, when uh, Moses has been speaking to Israel as God's intermediary, the Lord says to Moses, Surely all of the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers. The people of Israel didn't hear God's voice. Moses heard God's voice. The people of Israel heard Moses' voice. But God says what Moses said to them is what God said to them. And they were accountable for what Moses said because he was speaking as God's representative. Moses was the intermediary. The voice of God came through Moses and the people disobeyed and they were judged by God as if God had spoken to each of them personally. Now that's true because God protects the word, his word, spoken by the prophet, by the intermediary. Again, we have that law of first occurrence in Exodus chapter 4. We find out what it means to be a prophet. God says to Moses, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Deuteronomy 18, he says about the, the Lord says about the Messiah, about Jesus, the prophet like Moses that he will raise up. I will put my words in his mouth. When the young man Jeremiah objected to God choosing him to be a prophet, and Jeremiah said, I'm a youth, I don't know how to speak, the Lord said to him, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Not in his mind, not in his heart, in his mouth. God says, I am controlling the outcome so that what you say is exactly what I want my people to know. God worked in such a way that the prophet spoke his word precisely as God willed him to do. It is so guaranteed that it's actually one of the two tests for a genuine prophet. The first test for a genuine prophet in Deuteronomy 13 is they must have true doctrine. They must point to the true God. The second test in Deuteronomy 18 is this. The prophet who speaks presumptuously in my name that is, a word which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. The Lord says, you may say in your heart, how will we know? How do we know? And that's a good question. In the Old Testament period, in the New Testament period, in the modern period, People stand up and say, God has given me a word. I have a word. I'm a prophet. I've got a prophetic gift. How do you know? How do you know? 
God says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. Why is that? Because when there's a genuine prophet, God superintends the mouth and the mind of that prophet so that it is not wrong. There are false teachers today who insist that prophets in our time can be wrong. In fact, one of their cheerleaders, a man named Mike Bickle, who is the head of a group in Kansas City called the International House of Prayer, says that in his experience of 30 or 40 years around so-called prophets, even the best of them are wrong 80 or 85% of the time. The other word for that is false prophet. Lying prophet. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that they say this. They are so obviously wrong that they have to find an excuse. And their excuse is to blame God. Old Testament prophets were always right because the Holy Spirit so superintended them that they could not be wrong. But God doesn't care anymore. It's God's fault. That's why I got it wrong. Somebody back in the the late 70s or early 80s, it might have been Walter Martin. Uh, By the way, if you don't have Dr. Martin's book, Kingdom of the Cults, I highly recommend it. Just a huge brain. This, This man passed away in his study, on his knees, in prayer. What a way to go. He did a survey and he discovered that TV uh, psychics had a higher accuracy rate than so-called biblical prophets today. That's not God. And what the scripture says is, don't be afraid of them, don't listen to them, they should die. They don't die in our time, but they deserve death. The fact that we don't put them to death doesn't relieve them of their sin. So God is a God who communicates. He, communicates, he communicated directly for quite a long time. He communicated through intermediaries for uh, 1,500 years or so, and now he communicates through the Scripture. God personally wrote the Ten Commandments for his people. Exodus 32.16 says the tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. After Moses broke the first set of tablets, you remember he received the tablets, he came down, the people were engaged in horrific sin, and he was angered and he he threw the tablets to the ground and he broke them. The Lord called him back up and had him write down a second set. The Lord said to Moses, this is Exodus 34, the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words that you are writing, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Other men wrote the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. Their writing was controlled and superintended by the Holy Spirit of God. So Peter writes, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So there is absolutely no difference between God's words spoken directly to an individual and God's words spoken through an intermediary and God's words spoken in Scripture. 
They are the same. They bear the same authority. They have the same source. So Paul writes in Romans 15, what was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. A well-known pastor, Andy Stanley, several weeks ago said that the apostles unhitched that's his word, unhitched the church from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament doesn't matter. It doesn't apply that no teaching of the church is based on the Old Testament. Really. Interestingly enough, the New Testament contains more than 2,500 quotations and references to the Old Testament scriptures. The first sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts was given by Peter on the day of Pentecost. That sermon is recorded in 23 verses in Acts chapter 2. In those 23 verses, Peter makes reference to 18 Old Testament verses. He preached the gospel with the Old Testament. Paul's letters to the churches, which were made up largely of Gentiles, contain more than 450 Old Testament quotations and references. So when Andy Stanley says the apostles unhitched the, New Te- the church from the Old Testament, he's lying. I don't know whether he is simply accommodating the unbelief of our times or whether he is actually on the, the road of apostasy. I, I don't know. I don't know his mind and I don't know his heart. But I know that he's wrong. And he's not only wrong, he's wildly wrong. He's foolishly wrong. I was thinking of talking to Eldon afterwards because I have an idea. I think what I'm going to do is buy an acre of land somewhere outside of Norfolk. And then I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to buy three or four pallets of creamed corn and plant it. Because I like sweet corn and I like creamed corn and I figure I'll just grow it myself. That's not just wrong. That's wildly wrong. That's the kind of wrong we're getting from people who say the Old Testament and the New Testament have no connection. Scripture is God speaking. Scripture is God speaking. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, the Lord says to to Pharaoh, through the intermediary, Moses, but indeed for this reason I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Paul quotes... Exodus 9.16 in Romans 9.17, which I find to be a very handy comparison there. It's too bad that the guy who broke Romans into, into verses didn't make it 9.16 because that would have been perfect. In Romans 9.17, Paul writes, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose... I raised you up. The scripture doesn't say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, God raised you up. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very reason, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. The scripture is God speaking. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he answered the devil with scripture. He didn't simply quote scripture. He began his words with the the phrase, 
it is written. He could have simply said, when Satan said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread, he could have simply said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But he didn't say that. He said, it is written. Which is the equivalent form of saying, God has said. The scripture is God speaking. And so Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired is not a good translation for our time. It was a good translation 150, 300, 400 years ago. It's not a good, it's not a good translation in, in our time. Artists are inspired today by sunsets. I, I've taken... Uh, pictures, pictures that I like very much that were inspired by a picture taken by somebody else. Somebody else took a picture and I thought, I like that idea and I use that as an inspiration to go do my own. But that's not what Paul means. What Paul means here in 2 Timothy 3.16 is literally all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture comes from the very mouth and the breath of God. If anything, we should say all scripture is expired by God, not inspired. And because of that, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture is God speaking. And so in the scriptures, in the Bible, we have God's voice. We have two testaments which are one scripture. The written word of God bears the exact same power and authority as the, as the face-to-face word that God gave to Adam, that he gave to Noah and Abraham and to the others. It's exactly the same as the mediated word that came through the prophets. The Bible makes it clear that God's personal messages to people largely ceased at, in the time of Moses and that intermediaries took over the role of speaking to his people. And we see later on as the New Testament unfolds and as the history of the church unfolds that the role of intermediaries and prophets have ceased. The Lord was pleased to cease speaking through prophets. And we could say God stopped speaking through prophets because the canon of Scripture was closed. It might be just as true to say the canon of Scripture is closed because God is no longer speaking through prophets. Because what God says is Scripture. And Scripture is what God says. And we know that this is true. Why? Because since the close of the canon of Scripture, with the death of the Apostle John in the late 90s of the first century, not a single man on the face of the earth has spoken with divine authority as the Word of God. Not one. Many have claimed, but as soon as we take what they've said and we compare it to what we know God has said, they fail the test. Some people say that the belief that God no longer speaks through prophets means that we believe that God is silent, that God has stopped speaking, that God isn't talking to us anymore. One man said to me several years ago, the Bible is fine, but we have a living God. He obviously believes that the Bible is a dead book. 
It is historical. It is what is God. It's what God said, but not what God is saying. But that's not what the Bible says about itself. What the Bible says about itself is the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is living and active and able to judge, and nobody can hide from his sight, not its sight, his sight. Because the word of God is God's voice. It's what Jesus would say to us, this moment is what we have in this book. There's no difference between the Word of God and God Himself. Now, can I clarify? The printed Bible you're holding in your hand is not God. We don't worship the printed book. We don't worship the book on electric devices. We don't worship the book sung. See, when when God spoke to Adam... The authority was not in the vibrations of the air that Adam heard. It was in the words, and the word that God spoke. And so don't think that what we are saying is that when we say the word of God is God, don't think that what we're saying is that the Bible, the printed book you have in your hand is God. But every word in this has come from him. He wouldn't say it any differently. He wouldn't give you a different book today. This is exactly what he has said. Far from God being silent, he continues to speak. He continues to speak to you today. He continues to speak to me today in tremendous detail, right down to this very moment, in a living, active, discerning, discriminating, judging, penetrating word. Linda and I see it all the time, and and I'm sure that you do too, when you're speaking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and they begin arguing a point, and you point out something Scripture says, the, the majority of the time, the response is immediate anger and rebellion and resistance. There's, there's not a willingness to say, well, this is an idea. Let's debate that idea and put it up for discussion. There is simply immediate anger because people are dead in their sins and they're in rebellion against God. And we've also heard people through, through the simple presentation of the gospel and understanding what the scripture says, we've seen people broken in their sins. We've seen them in tears, weeping and in grief over their sins. We've seen them crying out, longing for hope because the word has given them hope. Not me, but them. Over the last, I don't know, three or four years that, that we've been at the mission a couple of Monday nights a, a week, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and every one of those messages is a presentation of the gospel. Linda goes at least once a week to, to the mission. 
and teaches Bible studies and has dealt with hundreds and hundreds of women and the vast majority of the time is getting the gospel in in one way or another. And we almost never see anybody who's apathetic. We see people who are in rebellion. We see people who seek to justify themselves and, and occasionally, by the grace of God, we see people who are brought to the end of themselves. But it's not because of what we do. It's not because of what you do. It's not because of your brilliant presentation or your ability to read somebody else. It's because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God is speaking today. He speaks in the pages of Scripture. He's speaking loud and clear. Believing the Bible is believing Him. Trusting the Bible is trusting Him. Doubting the Bible is doubting Him. Obeying the Bible is obeying Him. His Word, His written Word, is profoundly powerful and nourishing to us as His people. Father in Heaven, we thank You for your word. We thank you that you speak. We thank you that you have spoken. And because the Bible is your word, because the scripture is your word, your voice contained in written form, it continues to speak. It is not a dead book. It is living and active. There was a time when you stood and spoke to men face to face. You said you spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You chose then to speak through Moses to others. But very quickly, Lord, you had Moses begin writing those words down so that we didn't have to remember them and remember them perfectly so that we would have them always. Would you increase our understanding of the authority and the power of your word. To the extent that any of us, Lord, have turned away from the authority of your word, would you grant us repentance? To the extent that any of us have said, I believe this part but not that part, would you forgive us? Your word is water that cleanses us. It is food that nourishes us. It gives us strong hope. We look forward to the day that we see you face to face. But in a sense, nothing will change. We will see you more. We will understand you more, but you are not other than what the Word says. So would you restore to us a true hunger for the pure milk of your Scripture. And in Jesus' name we pray and we ask this. Amen.